is a events demystified podcast brought to you by two fun events and i am your host anka with me on the show today i can't wait to introduce you to a hostess with the mostest a hostess at heart diana wosu is my guest today and the passion that has led diana to her career in event planning is that which allows her to connect with clients vendors and stakeholders across all social strata. With more than 20 years of customer service related work and taking care of clients, members, and attendees has become her second nature and the driving force behind all of her work. Most recently, Diana has held the role of event planner for Foundation Software. She's been a CMP since 2017 and a DEC recipient. She's also an active member of Meeting Professionals Internationals, serving on the Rise Awards Committee globally and the Membership and Marketing Committees for the Ohio chapter. In 2020, she launched DianaCamille.com, offering event industry strategy, public speaking, and workshop facilitation services as a mom of two girls and born and bred as an Ohio girl, Diana is always dreaming of a beach vacation where she can order dessert first. And while dessert might have to wait a little bit, let's bring Diana in and dream together about that perfect beach vacation that we both are so looking forward to. the show. How are you? And would you please give our audience a quick rundown of who you are and what you're most passionate about that just lights your soul on fire? Oh, what a wonderful way to start <laughs> off, right? Yes, I am Deanna with DeannaCamille.com. I offer speaking services, facilitation services, but honestly, I'm an event professional at heart. So I really enjoy creating experiences to help people connect to help connect businesses to clients, to connect members and associations, just creating the space for people to learn, meet other people, and just have memorable experiences that they never forget. That's really what drives me at the end of the day, whether I'm on the stage as the speaker, if I'm behind the stage as the event prof, or facilitating in between the two. I love that. And I mean, dessert has to play a little bit of a part in that too, if you really want to order dessert first. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. Dessert to me is highly underrated. If I could live off of chocolate cake and ice cream, I absolutely would. And I always love the part of menu planning when I get to pick the desserts for events, because I mean, that's where you can really wow your attendees you can go all out. <laughs> That's when probably you feel like, you know, the kid in the candy shop and like, I'm exactly. going to go crazy on this. Well, yes. I know that my kids couldn't agree more with, you know, dessert first. <laughs> it's like the battle of the century in this household. <laughs> Basically. I leave a little room for salad. <laughs> I love that. Well, here's a question for you. It's something that I like to ask my future guests this season because I feel like we're going through seasons. You know, it's been like virtual, virtual, virtual. Now let's talk about hybrid, hybrid, hybrid. If you were to consider a hybrid event, what would this hybrid, fully immersive experience look like? I love the idea of bringing some AR 
but also like a buddy system. So a way to connect your on-site in-person attendees and your at-home virtual streaming attendees and then kind of walk through the experience together, but obviously from their different vantage points, right? So they're kind of maybe they have the same schedule of things that they're going to attend and they're connecting at different points after attending workshops and sharing their feedback because obviously the virtual experience is going to be different than the in-person experience. And I like the idea of that kind of AR because it's giving those people who are at home some type of tangible way of feeling like they're present in the experience. You know, I kind of almost think of robots. I, I remember seeing this years ago before the pandemic and the virtual hybrid rush was kind of coming to the forefront. But these robots that would be at events and would literally be the eyes and ears for someone who's at home. Now, it's really expensive and not really accessible to most planners and most organizations. But if you could go all out and no expense was barred, those are the type of ideas I think of. When I think of AR, I'm thinking like Facebook and Oculus and their brand there, mm -hmm. which kind of makes me wonder why they haven't stepped into events. Just also wondering like, wouldn't that be a little bit of a, I don't know, like, I feel like if I were going to an in-person event and I was surrounded by like a crowd of robots, it would kind of take a little bit of the human factor away and it would feel disconcerting. It's like the way I feel when somebody wants to present me with a virtual platform where there's like a lot of avatars mm -hmm. I don't know like my mind does not agree with that very well no, I totally understand what you mean, because I will say that I am not really a fan of avatars for the virtual event platforms. Some people really love them. Some organizations have used them with success, but me personally, it's not really my jam. When I think of those robots, I think of them more so not just being these autonomous creatures that are just roving around the event, but more so using that as a facilitating sharing connections with the in-person and the at-home people, if you will. So I think about events that have the information robot that's there giving you information so when you see a robot and you realize this person is from Thailand and you're in Idaho, like for example, and they can maybe show you around their living space and you can share that short connection that maybe that person never would attend the in-person event, but you are able to connect with them and share the experience of that event. So that's what I think of when I think of bringing the technology in is using it as a tool to connect people and not just being something that's noise in the background. If this was like an episode out of Galactica, I think I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get what you're saying there. <laughs> Which I actually really love. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Oh my gosh. Before we go into discussing episodes and seasons that we both enjoyed. <laughs> I want to bring us back to our topic. And actually, I have like this um, interesting question that I started asking recently, just because it brings to forefront some of the things that sometimes as event professionals, we have to, you know, deal with and be prepared for. So I know, personally, I have worked with some interesting for, you know, lack of a better world, some quirky, you know, borderline from another dimension, Galactica type of <laughs> client. And my question, I guess, to you is, have you had that experience? Have you worked with someone that maybe has asked you the weirdest thing possible to do or to produce for an event or to plan or anything of that nature that would have like a little bit of a, wow, I did not think about this factor. <laughs> I've been pretty fortunate that it hasn't been too off the wall. And I think it's just the audiences that I've worked with. They've been pretty laid back and easy to please people. I will say I worked an event this weekend that had 
a musical act. And if you've ever had to bring in talent for an event, usually they have a writer in their contract, you know, with all these things that they need to have in their green room or prepared for them in advance. And it was just really interesting that this person had this specific candle. It's like a pink sands Yankee candle and they needed a pair of brand new boxer briefs. And it was just, it was kind of interesting that they that requested these takes really my mind a little bit items. off somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, it was just, I mean, obviously some things were related to performing, like having tea and maybe having some gum and, you know, some snacks, but those were just kind of like, that's really, really specific and why, right? Yeah, totally. Was this in person? <laughs> I, I assume it's in person. Yes, I mean, what? yes it was right? in person. Okay, that's mm -hmm. funny. Was the event streamed as well? or just like purely in person? No, it was fully in person. It was actually connected to the NFL Hall of Fame uh, weekend here in Canton. So I was able to help Neil Leeson uh, with their parties that they do there. And um, this was for one of the parties that a client of his hosted. I love it. Well, as a event professional, but also as a public speaker, would you care to share some of your tips and tricks and tools that would help event planners select presenters and keynote speakers that engage, inform, entertain their audience, especially when presenting virtually and from there taking it to a hybrid environment setup because we both know like presenting in person is not the same as presenting virtually and also presenting to both in person and a virtual audience is not the same as just doing it to one audience. Yeah, I think a key way to decipher if a speaker is going to be good in that environment is what does their media look like on their social media pages, on their website? Do they have a YouTube? How well versed are they with all these different tech tools? How well do they do at connecting with their audience virtually through these tech tools? I think that's a really good way to decipher that. But I also think we have to be willing to look outside the box of the normal places that we look for speakers. For example, look for people who have a background in media you know, news anchors and people of that nature who are very comfortable in front of a camera and connecting via a camera lens, looking at people who are online educators. I taught online um, English as a second language for about almost three and a half years. And there are plenty of teachers that can do really well in that forum, but are not as strong in person in the classroom and vice versa. There's teachers that do really well in the classroom and don't do well online. So if you can look at people who have that kind of experience of online education, whether it's with a university, or even like a K through 12 situation, they will at least have that experience and that background of either just using tech tools and maybe doing asynchronous teaching, or if they're doing live instruction, connecting via a camera, finding immersive ways to teach concepts or motivate, inspire, and all of that jazz. Absolutely. And, you know, connecting with the, the virtual audience, especially by looking straight at the camera, I feel like it's so important because like I see how sometimes on this other side of the camera, I can get distracted with multiple things that I need to do, you know, especially when producing those podcast video episodes. However, you know, when I look back at the episode, you can tell right away when somebody is focused on, you know, on the other side or they're like, here's my cuff. 
coffee. And <laughs> There's one other thing I was going to say here. You know, as I've had the opportunity to speak at a few in-person events and they terrify me. Like in-person mm-hmm. public speaking, I know a lot of people is their jam. They feed off the energy of the crowd. They read the crowd and they just love it, love it. I find it terrifying. Just the idea of having like all this like hundreds of eyes looking at you is like they're about right. to devour you and eat you alive. <laughs> it's been like really a very terrifying for me. And in this new onset of virtual events, the last 18 months, however, I had no problem getting on camera and speaking virtually mm-hmm. for virtual conferences at events in which it was just me and my camera. And the idea that there is a lot of eyes possibly watching, but then I don't see them. And because mm-hmm. I don't see them, that's okay. Like I can, right. you know, muster the courage to get out there and just, you know, say whatever I need to say without that terrifying, like just <laughs> thinking of their reaction, like it would freeze me in place. You know, I'm like, I lost the train of thought. I lost all my yeah. words. I'm just like basically sinking and like... <laughs> like let me hide right now (laughs) it's it's so funny how we all have our things that we're strong at and we're weak at right and I've done presentations virtually and in person and to me the forum doesn't matter but what does matter is if I'm virtual I need to see people if I am just talking to the camera I'm okay with looking at the camera but I need to see people to see their reactions to gauge the energy and be able to move faster through something or really dive into something because I can tell either people are getting glazed over because they're bored or, hey, they're really engaged. Let me dive a little deeper into this and maybe cut some other content. Mm -hmm. I need that on the go, on the fly, being able to kind of customize it to who I'm speaking to. And so I find when I'm speaking just to a camera and it's either a pre-recorded presentation that will be streamed later because I have done those, or it's only thing you see is maybe the other panelists in the chat box, it's much harder to connect without kind of like that visual body language and visual cues that I can see when I can actually see the attendees. Two thoughts on that. Is it because you have started as a in-person public speaker from the get-go? And secondly, strategies that have helped you to become a better virtual event presenter now that you kind of had to? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that teaching online is what really helped me with the virtual presenting because I was teaching children and I'm teaching English as a second language. So it's fully immersive. I didn't have to speak any other languages, but you're having to get attention spans of, you know, a four-year-old or three-year-old through a camera and they're halfway across the world and they've got all these other things in front of them. They've got toys, they've got the TV, they've got their family behind them. So they've got all these things that are going to distract them and you have got to get that attention and get it fast and keep it. So I think that experience really did help me with the virtual because again, like I said, with those cues, I can tell quickly, okay, this child is, they're they're heading off to La La Land or (laughs) they really like this activity. Let's really do some more with it. Let's extend this slide that we're on and maybe skip some of the other ones because they're not as important content wise. So I think that experience really helped me like to the point of me needing the audience to kind of gauge where I should really focus my content and where I can kind of skim. That definitely came from the teaching because it's all responsive to the kid that's in front of you. The same lesson, you may have taught it 20 times, but every 
child is different. And so the delivery is going to be different. So here's an idea and I'm going to put it out there into the world for someone to take note of it. The same way how, you know, you need to go through a course to get your DES or CMP. How about we make it a prerequisite for virtual event presenters to teach one month, like a group of four or five year olds and see how they do. <laughs> right. And then yeah, give them the I, certification. I can... <laughs> yeah, I can set that up, right? I think that's a new business model, like teaching keynote speakers how to present to four-year-olds over a computer screen. Let's see how that business model works Absolutely. out. Absolutely. I love it. We got to do that. Let's mm -hmm. let's coin that idea. <laughs> right. That's a good one. I'm going to trademark it right after this podcast. <laughs> I love it. Now, what are your thoughts on keeping this hybrid audience engage and some quick tips that you can give, especially if you're in a situation where you know you're on stage, a keynote, a presenter on stage, and you have all these eyes, you know, looking at you, but also there is a million other eyes looking at a screen as you're presenting. Any tips, tools, tricks that you can share for our audience? This is going to sound crazy, but it's harness the power of fear. <laughs> and when I say that, when I say that, think of when you're in high school or you're in, you know, you're in your school age days and you thought the teacher may call on you. That's the moment when you were alert, you were paying attention, you made sure you weren't goofing off with your friends, you weren't looking at, you know, material for another class because there's always the chance the teacher may call on you. Those were the classes, those type of teachers were the ones that got the best attention span from me because you just never knew what you're going to get. And I think keeping attendees on their toes from a hybrid event, if you can engage the virtual audience, whether that's randomly picking someone to put up on stage. Now you probably want to get permissions in advance because not everyone wants to be camera ready, but knowing that that's a possibility and not knowing if it comes or when it comes, having some pop-up contest in the middle of your presentation that says, hey, if you share this thing on social media, you'll be entered for XYZ prize because that shows that you were paying attention to the talk. Just keeping people on their toes where they don't know what's coming next, that's gonna keep their attention because it's so easy for someone who's looking at a screen to have three, four, five tabs open, for their children to walk in and distract them, for their boss to call. But if they know, hey, I don't want to stop looking at this because I may miss something really critical or I may get embarrassed. They call me on stage and I'm not ready. Just harness that. Harness that. I don't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. Before we move any further, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our main sponsor, Trifan Events, which is a boutique event planning and production agency that will come alongside you, offering personalized event planning and technical support, strategic event design, production and technology management, and flawless execution for live, virtual, and hybrid events. The team at Trifan Events is passionate about planning and producing event experiences that get people involved with true moments of interaction, engagement, and co-creation while offering white glove treatment throughout the entire planning process, enabling you to reach your event goals with the use of creativity, production tools, and event technology. To find out how Trifun Events can plan and produce your event become memorable, go to trifunevents.com. As far as moving into the event planning, event 
a management part of our conversation. Do you have any suggestions and recommendations on how event professionals can? This is something that, you know, it's so important for event professionals, especially if you're going to uh, plan and host an event. How can event professionals and organizations increase their events ROI when hosting an event? What are some of the maybe most important KPIs to keep in mind and the considerations around that? Because, you know, at the end of the day, if you're going to put a lot of time and effort and money into an event, you're hoping for a return. You know, you might have a Mm -hmm. different measure of what that looks like. But yeah, what are your uh, thoughts on that? I think the key thing when it comes to maximizing ROI is got it kind of going back to those KPIs throughout the planning process. So what's really key for me when I meet with my clients is I ask immediately, what are our success metrics? You know, what are your goals with this event and what are you using to determine okay, we've succeeded with our goals or we haven't. And then those are the guiding light principles that you're going to use throughout the planning process. What every decision you're making needs to point back to how this can either, if your goal is to increase revenue, if your goal is to drive leads for sales, if your goal is to just get more expanded presence and awareness of your product or service, if you're launching a product, what's the success metric? The attendees, the um, clicks on the product after the event, you know, I think the key thing is determining those success metrics at the front. And then as you're making decisions along, how does this point back to, you know, our end goal at the end of the day? And then along the way, circling back to that. So I think the key thing is not necessarily what are the key KPIs, but just once you've identified them, use them as your guiding light principle throughout the planning. You know, everything needs to drive back to that. The keynote speakers you select, the agenda that you select, your marketing materials, what platform you select, and the budget that you're going to spend on this event. I had a client that I was working with. They wanted to do kind of an awareness event. And originally, it was no holds barred, no budget. We're going to get six-figure celebrity presenters, and we're going to have this panel. And then when they really sat down and thought, thought about the KPIs, that really didn't make sense because this wasn't a revenue generating event. So if we're not trying to generate revenue, why are we throwing all this money at this event that's not going to bring back that return? And so when they realized, okay, this is really more of like an awareness campaign, they realized that there was no, um, originally the date they were looking for was in August. And then they decided, let's postpone this because this was just a sporadic date that was selected. It wasn't necessarily tied to the goals that we had with this market. So I think, again, when you make sure that all your decisions are pointing back to those KPIs that you've selected at the front, it'll really drive the planning process and make sure that you're staying focused on your end goals. Yeah. And I guess having those KPIs selected with the awareness that it might fit or not fit your event and being, you know, flexible to change, adapt and revise, I think is very important. Like you said, you know, your client had to go back to their initial KPIs and decide, okay, well, whatever we thought our, you know, indicators should be, maybe we need to revise a little bit of that so that Mm -hmm. we can align that better with the ROI, the expectation, what the event is. Exactly. So how can event professionals enhance the event experience while tapping into the emotion of events? Oh, I think one I saw, It sounds like you're very passionate about that. Yes. When you said emotion, <laughs> it just got me like, it was like a little hoo giddy, inside. Giddy. <laughs> <laughs> I think one emotion that's not really tapped into enough is the idea of kind of 
reflecting back to old times, right? To when you harness the power of, I can't think of the word, but it's basically thinking back to when you were growing up, nostalgia. nostalgia. If you tap into nostalgia and people, either people's beginning of their careers or the old days of their culture or back in the day when the company started, like tapping into nostalgia, like it's such a powerful emotion that really kind of, for one, from a DEI standpoint, a lot of times it will transcend, you know, people that come from different backgrounds, cultures, races, religions, and all that, because those are things you can remember. For example, there's just one TikToker I follow, and pretty much all of her content is geared towards millennials. And so a lot of it is about late 90s, early 2000s, when we were in high school, college, coming of age. And it's just like, you laugh, you cry, because she's hitting all those emotions of the things that we remember and we we all connect and you look at the comment section and it's like a rainbow because we've all had those similar experiences coming up and it's just like a great connection point. So I think that's one area that I think is underutilized in events is tapping into nostalgia. Again, whether it's from a brand or a common experience that's shared, uh, I think that's something that could be used. For example, this reminded me, I'm going to shout out Jay Minash. He is a exhibitor salesman and his company put together an exhibit at the Candy Expo. It was in June of this year in Vegas. And they were featuring like fruit stripe and they had the zebra from the fruit stripe. And I just was like, I remember that from being a kid and I immediately lit up. And so even something as simple as that, like how often do you see one see fruit stripe, the candy and two someone in a stuffed zebra costume from the candy. So again, it's just like when you can harness that and use it in a way that reflects back to your brand, reflects back to the event. I think it just like lights people up inside. I love that. I think for me, it's always linked to music. Some of the songs of the 90s. And it's funny because every time I'm in, in that type of mood, you can tell on my playlist. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I even even that. when you have like in-person events, when you have receptions that are like themed, whether it's 80s, 90s, I know for a company, it was like an employee appreciation event. We did like a 90s theme, but not a 90s, it was an 80s theme, but we had a lot of back to the future references Yeah, and people ate it up. They came in their costumes. We had like decorated cookies and we had games and it just was such a good time. And it was a hoot. We're taking pictures of everyone in their spandex and their leg warmers <laughs> and, you know, the side ponytails. And it was, it was just great. But again, we're just harnessing that power of nostalgia. Now, what were some of the other favorite things that you would like to highlight from all the virtual events that you've attended this past year? I really enjoyed virtual events that include the attendees, not just you know, in the conversation, but include us in generating some of the content as well. And so I've mentioned this multiple times, but one of the earliest events that I saw doing this virtually was the Untethered Conference. And it's mm -hmm. sponsored by a bunch of event tech gurus. And what I, what I loved with some of the sessions were, one, you could add to the agenda, you could create, you know, a Zoom meeting based off whatever topic you wanted. So one, we could kind of co-create on the, the content, but there were some sessions that were really kind of facilitated by the organizers, but the attendees were the speakers, we were the panelists. 
specifically remember one where they had a visual artist, you know, doing a drawing as we were talking, but it was kind of round robin where, you know, I would come on stage, I would give my feedback, and then maybe I would pose a question to the next person. And then, it, you know, you tap them in, and then they would answer the question and give their feedback, and then they would tap in the next person. And like, that was such a cool experience, because I was an audience member, I was a speaker, I was a facilitator, we had this shared experience through you know, from all three vantage points. So it wasn't like we were just consuming content, but we were creating it too. So I feel like if there's opportunities to involve attendees with the creation and even like the facilitation to a bit, I think that one increases engagement, but it's also going to increase the ability to make those experiences memorable after the event too. Well, at the time when we're going to be uh, going on air with this episode, I'll probably have more to say about Unterror because I'm scheduled <laughs> to be one of the speakers, but I know nothing oh, about it at this point. And yes. I'm like, oh, I don't know what's going to uh, happen. <laughs> yeah. So this was the one in 2020. So I think it was in May of last year. So it was really still, you know, I think they put it together in like six weeks, which it was mm -hmm. just like, I couldn't believe that they did really well considering how short of the yeah. timeline they had. But yeah, it was still kind of new. And I still to this day haven't really seen a lot of That's events awesome. tap into that. They were onto something, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, if nobody took notes, they should have, you know, especially if they <laughs> produced this back in May when a lot of event professionals, they're still trying yeah. to figure out what's happening, you know. Deer in headlights. I feel like yeah. I just posted on LinkedIn today this gif of this guy riding a roller coaster. And while he's riding this roller coaster, he's like drinking a soda and eating popcorn. And so it's just like, this is what it's felt like being an event professional, like putting together events and experiences during COVID, right? Like yeah. you're, you're still making it happen but everything around you is chaos and it's just like you're just doing the best with what you can and it's been like this entire 18 months going on two years now has been one big roller coaster for all of us yeah and thrown there you know working from home having kids trying to give them an education i mean thank you youtube for teaching my kids how to spell <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the enduring feeling is definitely an appreciation for educators because I have definitely leaned on public school teachers to teach my children. And the, when I was having to be pulled into it more, I realized how much I wasn't active in their education. So kudos to anyone who is in the education field. And thank you for what you do, because I could not. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. I, like if there was an award, look, I have actually some applauses. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> you got this. <laughs> Exactly. Well, Deanna, we're almost coming to time here. And um, I wanted to ask you any last thoughts, any one piece of advice that if you were to only give one piece of advice, what would that be? Yeah. So in my mind, I'm thinking the majority of your audiences are event professionals and those who work in hospitality and event industries. And in recent days, weeks, months, I've just reflected on how much our industry overworks ourselves. We kind of glamorize overworking ourselves. We glamorize working nights, weekends, holidays, 12 hour days, 16 hour days. And we glamorize clients that expect us to be responsive 24 seven and on call. And at the end of the day, it's really a problem with setting boundaries. And I think after the 18 months, two years that we've had, if we get nothing else out of this, we need to be better at setting boundaries for our mental health, for the state of our families at home and for our businesses as well. It's not really sustainable to work yourself to the bone like that. It's not sustainable for your employees. It's not sustainable for your revenues. It's not sustainable for your family. And so 
you know, you can be successful in this industry. You can put on great events. Obviously, there are times when, you know, you're a week of the event, when you're staffing it. Yes, you will work long hours. You will work overtime, obviously. But we don't need to live in that environment 24-7. And I think we need to be better about setting ground rules about what we will accept, both from our employers, from our clients, and what is the basic that basic needs we have to sustain our mind, to sustain our bodies, and to sustain our businesses and families. Absolutely. And following through on those <laughs> ground rules and boundaries, because yeah. I mean, if you ask me, I'm really good at making the rules, following them. That's kind of like a different <laughs> topic. It, it's, it's such a slippery slope because it usually starts with trying to have good customer service, right? Or trying to be accommodating to people. And then before you know it, you've given up the whole rope and, and the, the line is completely grayed out. So I definitely am still learning this. It's not something I'm a master of, but that's the one thing that I've reflected on the most, I think, during the pandemic is just setting boundaries in terms of your career, setting boundaries in terms of, you know, relationships, whether they're business or personal or otherwise, and just making yourself sure that you're in a good place so that you can give your best to your contribution to our industry. And uh, because you segued into my last topic of discussion, I guess the last question for you is, what are some of the ways in which you keep yourself in this healthy mental space, especially, you know, going through challenging times, which, you know, hello, 18 months of that. I think one of the biggest things I do is with my calendar in terms of like setting boundaries. You know, I only take meetings certain days of the week. I only take meetings certain hours of the day. I pre-plan usually on Saturdays or Sundays. I'll pre-plan for the week what each day, what my tasks are that I should be focusing on. But I also kind of allot space. So if I know I'm working a virtual event for four hours on, on Monday, I'll say, okay, you'll have four hours for that event. And then I know not to try and expect myself to get 3000 tasks done because I'll be managing an event that day. So maybe in addition in the afternoon, I can get two things done. So kind of setting some basic expectations of what my week looks like that definitely helps with the pressure each morning because you've got like a built in kind of agenda and uh, task lists for the day. But also I've kind of I do that with keeping in mind of trying to work no more than 10 hours a day or, you know, in that eight to 10 range. Some days I work more than that. Some days I work less, but trying to to plan it out in advance, knowing what I've got on personally, I think that helps with really managing my calendar and managing those tasks. And then I also, along with that, I've been really blessed with clients. Like they've all been wonderful and I haven't had any nightmare clients so far, but you know, I just am, I'm upfront with when I'm available and when I'm not. And it is what it is. And like I said, I've been really fortunate that no one's really bucked that or I haven't had any problems with it. But that's just when I set out to be independent, that was something that was really important to me because I didn't want to leave a job just to create a job for myself as an independent. <laughs> so this is my business. And so these are the, the guidelines that I have in terms of how I want to run it. And the clients that will respect that and it works well for them, those are the ones that for one, that I've been able to attract thus far. But moving forward, if it doesn't work for them, that's fine. We just don't have to work together. Well, thank you for all your tips and thoughts that you shared today. If our audience wants to connect with you, how and where can they do that? I'm primarily on Instagram at Deanna Camille 20 or LinkedIn. And you can look at my company, which is Deanna Camille or my personal page, Deanna Wosu, C-M-P-D-E-S. And I'm pretty active on both. So pretty easy to find. 
And I'll have the website in the episode notes, so that's easy because I'm sure you have all the other social links listed on there. Well, thank you so much, Diana, for this time together, for all the wisdom that you have shared with us, with our audience. And I wish you a wonderful rest of your meet week, I think it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's Wednesday. <laughs> it, was, it was a Monday, one day when I actually, you know, sent someone on their way with happy weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Monday is a Monday. Yeah, like totally losing the calendar where exactly we're on the calendar right now. But thank you so much. I appreciate you. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Atha. Absolutely. Okay, friends, that is a wrap for today. I hope that you took some of those nuggets of wisdom and some of the tips and all the thoughts that have been shared and you will be able to apply in practice for some of your uh, personal development, but also your events. Thank you so much for all of you listening here in the US as well as around the world. I'm super grateful for you. Wherever you're tuning in from, please do take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you want to take it one step further, leave a five-star review to make this podcast visible to more event professionals just like yourselves, or maybe just take a screenshot of the podcast and share it on your social with your network. As always, I welcome your feedback. Keep that coming either via email or on Instagram at Events Demystify Podcast or even via WhatsApp. I have those links in the episode notes. In the meantime, have a fantastic rest of your day. We shall see you soon.